Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is Episode 9 of Season 2 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. It's being brought to you today by the Youth Athletic Foundation. Its mission is to assist student-athletes in developing a strong work ethic through discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Their goal? To help youngsters understand the importance of working hard to be the best they can be, whether that's on the court, in the classroom, or in the community. The YAF has donated millions of dollars to charities, families, local high schools, and youth sports programs, and uh, they are vital here in the Memphis area, making sure that young people get opportunities to uh, to play sports and to learn about the game of life as well. Glad you're with us uh, on this uh, Thursday as the Grizzlies are getting ready to take on the Los Angeles Clippers. Grizzlies already own a victory over the Clippers. It was the Clippers' home opener and the first road game for the Grizzlies. Grizzlies getting the win on the road, coming from 16 down to beat the Los Angeles Clippers. So the rematch is at FedEx Forum on Thursday night. To help us preview that ball game, we're going to bring back one of our friends of the program from season one. His name is Brian Seaman, the uh, television voice of the Los Angeles Clippers. He started out as the uh, in the NBA anyway as the radio voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves, went west to the Los Angeles Clippers, was their radio voice until the retirement of Ralph Lawler, and then uh, Brian assumed the television role. He's working with Jim Jackson and or Mike Fratello, so an old friend. Uh, not sure if Mike's making the trip to uh, to Memphis, if he'll be on the call tonight with Brian or not. But uh, in any event, Brian Seaman's going to break down this Clippers team, which had won seven in a row before losing to the Chicago Bulls, and uh, the Clippers bouncing back on Tuesday night with a pretty decisive win over the San Antonio Spurs. So Brian will break it down, give us a sense of what is working well for the Clippers at this point. Uh, he will be our friend of the program, and of course, we've got Petey's points. But uh, as per usual, we will start our show as we always do with That Was the Week That Was. Since our last visit, uh, Grizzlies only one game played. Uh, it was a bounce-back game for them. Last Saturday night was, uh, disaster might be too strong a word, but certainly a disappointing effort against the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Grizzlies come back. They take on the 1-12 and Houston Rockets, and this is a game that uh, if you're the Grizzlies, you really, really got to win, and hopefully decisively, or otherwise you start start questioning some things. Uh, Grizzlies do win decisively, and it all started with a fantastic first quarter. Grizzlies did a great job of, of setting the tone early in this one, uh, forcing nine turnovers for 14 points from uh, the most turnover-prone team in the NBA. Grizzlies, very, very balanced scoring. Dylan had five. Jaron had five. Desmond Bain getting the shooting eye back with seven in the first quarter. Kyle Anderson coming off the bench with five. Uh, very balanced scoring for the Grizzlies. Shot 48% from the floor, made four of eight from three. And they get off to a good start after, after the Rockets scored the first five points of the game. 33-20 after one quarter. So what you like about this, Grizzlies have been scoring 30 points in the first quarter. That's not been the issue. The issue has been them allowing 30 points in the first quarter, but they only allow 20 in the first quarter, so they have a 13-point lead going to the second quarter. Grizzlies do add to their lead, but only slightly, and this led Taylor Jenkins at halftime to say, guys, you gave up 36 points to a 1-11 team. I'm not sure that's exactly what he said, but it might have been something along those lines. Grizzlies put up 40, so I mean, they built their lead, but the fact of the matter is the Grizzlies kind of sort of let Houston back in there. I mean, Jay Sean Tate, 
had a 8-point second quarter. Four of the five Rockets starters are in double figures by halftime. Uh, the only one not in double figures, Kevin Porter, shot just two for ten in the first quarter. Uh, in the first half, I beg your pardon. Dylan with 14, Ja with 14 in the first half, Kyle with 11 in the first half. Uh, this is a Houston Rockets team that it has young talent, and clearly, by agreeing not to play John Wall, they are going to they are going full boat, young guys, with the exception really of of DJ Augustine. This is a very very young team, and uh, and and it showed. Grizzlies go on to dominate the the second half as well. Uh, the message about, hey, look, guys, uh, 36 points give up in the, in the second quarter to Houston. That's way too many. Well, the Grizzlies come out in the third quarter, and uh, they put this one away. They outscore Houston 31-15 in the third quarter, and the Grizzlies uh, go on to take the victory. In the final score, 136-102. to 102. Grizzlies, their biggest lead of the season. At one point, they led by 40 in this game. Also a season high in points. Grizzlies have 70 in the paint. 30 fast break points, and they really took advantage of everything uh, that that all of Houston's shortcomings, I guess, to, to put it pretty straightforwardly. Um, Houston now 1-13. Grizzlies get back to 500 at 7-7. Seven seven. Uh, Grizzlies had six in double figures. Bench also had a good game. Uh, Sam Merrill getting some time, nine minutes, put up nine points. Jared Culver also got... Uh, some time, five minutes worth, and he put up six points to go along with one rebound. So everybody who dressed played. Uh, Eve Pons was inactive on a G League uh, assignment. Killian Tilly uh, was uh, inactive coach's decision. But everybody else who played was productive. Uh, the only scoreless player was John Conchar, who went 0 for 4 in nine minutes. But other than that, this was a very good get-well game for the Grizzlies, which uh, they certainly felt that they needed after uh, a couple of games where, where they were not up to standard. Nobody had to play big minutes. Uh, the most minutes played, uh, Bain and Morant both played just under 25 minutes. So the Grizzlies, uh, they got a good run in, but they didn't uh, wear themselves out, and they get back to 7-7 seven and seven on the season. And uh, that's it for that was the week that was. Uh, Grizzlies... Uh, had a couple of days off in preparation for this game against the Los Angeles Clippers on Thursday night, and then the Grizzlies will go out on the road, and they'll have a couple of games. They will be at Minnesota and at Utah on Saturday and then on Monday. So that was the week that was. Without further ado, let's move forward in today's program and get you to some PD's points. All right, PD's point number one. What did we learn from the Houston game? The Houston game, it, it's one of those odd games that certainly you don't want to lose, but you have to win by a lot. That's the expectation. And if you don't win by a lot, there's the question mark of, hmm, is something really, really wrong with this basketball team that uh, you know we really need to get after and, and, and fix? The fact that the Grizzlies came out with a strong start, the fact that the Grizzlies at shoot-around that day had taken responsibility, the players themselves had said, look, you know, we, we need to own the fact that we went to New Orleans and we didn't play really well. They came out, they played well first quarter, second quarter, defensive slippage, third quarter they came out and, and played really well. you got to win these games by a, a large number, and the Grizzlies certainly did that. You go up 40 and you put this one away early, you get – your end of the bench guys, you know, five to 10 minutes. I think what we learned from this game is that the Grizzlies certainly have it in them to put these types of games together. 
they didn't put this type of game together when they were in New Orleans. Now, in all fairness, New Orleans has a much higher talent level than the Houston Rockets do at this point in time. So, you know, compare take that for what it's worth. Also take it for what it's worth that the Grizzlies in New Orleans were on the back end of a back-to-back, and at least they had a day of rest going into the Houston game. So what do we learn from the Houston game? I think not a whole lot other than the Grizzlies do have this in them to be a really good defensive team, to be an efficient offensive team. And uh, I think that's that's what you take away from it. And also it's a W and you get back to 500. And for at least a little bit, uh, you know, the the rumblings of, oh, what's going wrong with this team? At least those kind of get shut down for a little bit. Petey's point number two, you know, Taylor Jenkins was asked before the Houston game, well, you know, what about your defense last year compared to this year? And he said, well, you know, we really don't want to get too much into comparisons, what we did last year, what we did this year. The team, by and large, is the same, obviously, with the exception of Jonas Valanciunas not being there. I did take a quick look, you know, to this uh, last year, uh, the defensive rating was 110.5 per 100 possessions. This year, it's 112.1. So it's gotten, uh, it's regressed by about a point and a half per 100 possessions. The big issue is that the Grizzlies' offensive rating has dropped. Last year, it was just under 112 points per 100 possessions. This year, it's at 108. And the net rating this year is minus 4 points per 100 possessions. Last year, it was plus 1.2. I looked at the defensive ratings last year, month over month, and they were all over the map. It went from 115 to 103 to 112 to 108, and it fluctuated throughout the course of the season. Bottom line is when you look at the defensive ratings for the Grizzlies last year, it did not it did not track from uh, you know mediocre to pretty good to good to excellent or or in any other way. It just kind of was was all over the map, which is what you would expect from from a pretty young basketball team. I thought it was interesting to see that the the offensive rating has has dropped down. That might be um, a function of more three point shooting might be a function of the fact that Steven Adams isn't the offensive threat that Jonas Valanciunas is. But I just I, I thought that it was interesting that the offensive efficiency of this team has dropped off, although a lot of the other metrics are are pretty much in line. It's still a team that distributes the basketball really well, um, moves the basketball, but the the shooting numbers, the shooting percentages are not where they were last year. Eventually those things are going to come. Um Again, is it is it the higher three point rate that might be part of it? But still, the Grizzlies are taking uh, almost as many uh, shots in the paint as they were last year, and uh, so you know you're trying to figure out how this all goes. I think I think some of it it's just been some cold shooting, and and that is going to come and go. But um, the thing that you want to make sure that you get is that that defensive rating gets back into something below 110 points per 100 possessions. If you are going to be with a defensive rating of 110 or higher on a per-game basis, it's really, really hard to win games in this league unless you have an elite-level offense. And the Grizzlies' offense is not elite-level. It, it it just isn't. Good players, but it's not an elite-level offense the way we think of, of some of the other teams in the NBA, the Golden States of the world, the Brooklyns of the world, and, and things like that. I've just been more interested in tracking offensive and defensive ratings uh, 
this year. It's, you know, from year to year, I just seem to focus on different statistics, and, and that's what I'm focused on right now. I know that it makes Brevin, uh, Brevin crazy when I talk about that. And they're like, well, why 100 possessions? Because we level the playing field. We try, if we're comparing teams, uh, if you compare on a per-game basis, uh, that that isn't the best comparison. The best comparison is, hey, let's have the same number of possessions when we do this numerical comparison. But um, anyway. Uh, enough analytics talk. Uh, don't want to turn into John Hollinger here uh, just yet. Final PD's point. One of the things that Brevin does like, and I like as well, is, the, is that Brandon Clark has played really well, particularly in the last four home games. Starting to see, and I'll, I'll be in, interested to see if this holds true on Thursday night when the Grizzlies play the Clippers. Does Brandon Clark get a call before Zaire Williams and or John Conchar? Um John Conchar, I love John, love his hustle, but Brandon Clark overall is going to be a better basketball player for this team, and is he going to see the floor more now that there's proof of performance? The last four home games, he's averaging a little over 10 points per game. Love his bounce, love his activity on the glass. Uh, Are we going to see more Brandon Clark? I hope so, and I hope we see more productive Brandon Clark because he's a lot of fun to watch. He's a good guy and and easy to root for, and I, I hope that he continues this emergence, that he can be a valuable member off this bench, which the Grizzlies bench is starting to uh, find its way, and a large part of that is Kyle Anderson is now slotted well into his role coming in off the bench, and the bench numbers for the Grizzlies have come up, which is, which is gratifying because the first week, to two weeks of the season, the bench numbers were were really not very good, but they are now, and um, that's a great development for the Memphis Grizzlies. So those are the PD's points for today's show. Uh, we're going to get to our friend of the program in a moment, but first we want to tell you that today's show is being brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. The NHL season, yep, it's underway. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NHL, and they have an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a slap shot, if it's a redirect, no matter what it is, if they light the lamp, you win. Now, Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed because everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Basketball, football, UFC, you name it, they've got it. Now, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So, Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Also want to mention, uh, before we get to our friend of the program, had a really, really good visit with uh, a new and upcoming podcast uh, called The Clinic, and uh, had a great visit with uh, Roe and his boys and um, talking all things NBA, my journey to where I am now in the broadcasting business. Also talked about the uh, what's going on with the uh, Memphis Grizzlies at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would go ahead and check that out. Really good conversation, extended conversation. Uh, on the line with them for about an hour and talked about a lot of fun things. And 
we didn't get to everything that we wanted to talk about. I think there's going to be an episode two of this. So uh, go ahead and find that on the podcasts. All right. Our friend of the program, Brian Seaman is the television voice of the Los Angeles Clippers. He works with Jim Jackson and or the czar of the Telestrator, Mike Fratello. He is one of the more entertaining listens uh, in the NBA. Great energy, great use of language. It's just a fun listen to uh, the Clippers telecast with Brian Seaman at the microphone. And uh, before the Clippers got on the plane and got over here to Memphis, and in fact, before they had the victory over the San Antonio Spurs, I was able to catch up with Brian and uh, get this conversation on uh, tape, as it were, or digital media, whatever you want to say. In any event, here's our friend of the program, Brian Seaman. So, Brian, a seven-game winning streak came to an end Sunday night against the Chicago Bulls. Uh, in in short order, what's been working for your guys in that seven-game winning streak? Um, I think the people in Memphis will appreciate that there's a lot of grit and grind with this team. See what ah, I, did? I, I see what you did there. Local ah. group. I'm trying to. We're coming <laughs> to town. I'm trying to to do a goodwill tour here. In all honesty, there is a lot of that. Uh, let's be very honest. Um, the defense has really been what has stood out to me. Uh, I've loved watching these guys scrap and, you know, a lot of, you know, oftentimes, and you've been in this position, I've been in this position where you wonder if they can take what they did from last year to this year. Well, in the playoffs last year, they had to battle back and they had to do it shorthanded and they've kept that same mentality all year long uh, here on this short season. And yeah, they battled back. They had that seven game winning streak. They were down double figures. And I think four of those seven games, including by 20 to Minnesota, the defense has really been where you see it all. They're very disruptive. Uh, they can force a lot of deflections and turnovers. The offense is slow to come. You know, they've been a top 10 offense the last eight years, only team in the league to do that. That includes Golden State. Um, and, you know, when you're shorthanded with Kawhi out, you know, uh, that's going to be the case. But I suspect it will come back. They're not making shots, but who in the league is. So that's really what's been going on. I'm really happy with the brand of basketball that they're playing. It's, it's a lot of effort every night. Do you get is 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 PG thirteen? Is he really the bellwether for that? I know you got a lot of gritty guys. I mean, Eric Bledsoe, I've always thought has been kind of a kind of a bulldog player, and Reggie Jackson is a high energy player. But is Paul George really the the proverbial straw that stirs the drink? I think so, and it's it's one of those things. Um, you know, it's a pretty quiet team, but PG has been more vocal this year. But I think it's by example. So when you talk about you know the defensive side of things. Everyone looks at their best player putting the maximum effort uh, towards, you know, that side of the floor. We just played Chicago the other night and, you know, Billy Donovan was asked about Paul George. He says, you know, the one thing that, that really stood out to me about PG, he never once in the two years that we coached him came to the sideline and asked for a play to be run or have more plays. He always asked what he needed to be doing defensively. And that trickles down the, the roster. Now you have defensive minded and team minded guys like Nicholas Batum, who's just literally an A-plus in the role that he's played for us. But you have those veterans kind of driving that. Avita Zubac is a terrific defender. But Paul George's example is certainly noticed by the younger players, and I think that's a big reason why we've been a top-five defensive team. I'm glad you touched on Nick Batum because he was a handful when he was with the Portland Trailblazers, goes to Charlotte, lots of injuries. And since he's come to L.A., his career has seemingly been revived. What, uh, what has he brought to the table for you? You know, it's funny. Um, I was excited about the signing right away. Now, I thought he'd be uh, maybe a six to eight point guy a night and maybe two or three rebounds and two or three assists. But 
he would put everybody in the right places. And well, he turned out that he still had a lot of game left. You know, it's funny when he was let go from Charlotte, he had openly wondered, ah, I don't even know if I'm going to be back anymore. Maybe nobody wants me to play. Maybe my career is up. I mean, that went through his mind. And then shortly after that, only the teams that had a chance to win a title were the ones that were calling him. And so he felt good about it, picked the Clippers. But he's exactly what you think he is. And, and on top of that, just a terrific person, a great teammate. He has truly been flawless in every minute that he has played with the Clippers. And what about Ty Lue? Because I think you look at Ty Lue, he was a role guy, obviously, during his playing years. You know, coached in Cleveland, ever thought, well, you know, it, it, it's Cleveland and it's LeBron, but... Obviously, he's shown his chops. You get to see him on a daily basis. What impresses you most about Ty Lue? Number one, his temperament is amazing. Whether you're up 20, up 30, or down 20 or 30, it's always the same. He's a great elite-level communicator. But what we noticed, and we noticed it very much in the playoffs, his ability to make adjustments, not game to game, which are good, and he does do that. You're talking like quarter to quarter, half to half, and like dynamic changes that are you know, really next level. And I remember, you know, we had Chauncey Billups on television with us a couple of years ago. And so I had an insight to what was going on with Ty and he Chauncey's mind is as elite as it is. And he was like, dude, Ty does some things that I've like, I could never even think about that at that point in time. So he's just an elite level mind. You mentioned the Cleveland stuff. I mean, he gets, I don't think he gets enough attention for it because LeBron takes all of the attention. We get it. LeBron is the greatest and LeBron is, you know, LeBron's up there cerebrally with the best of the best, but Ty Lue is no slouch. And I just, I feel good. Like even when we're down 20, I'm like, well, like last night we were, the other night we were playing Chicago. It didn't look good. I'm like, oh, we're going to make the adjustments. We're going to be just fine. Like I'm not even worried about it. I know Ty's going to push the right buttons and, and make things happen. Speaking of guys who think at a high level, you had the opportunity to work with our old friend, the czar of the telestrator, <laughs> Mike, Mike Fratello. How's, how's that for a segue? Was that a good segue? <laughs> I mean, it, anytime you bring up Mike Fratello's name, it's always met by the other party with a laugh because yes, he's, yes. I, I mean this so sincerely. I love him so much. And I just, I cannot tell you what a thrill it is for me. You know, I was in grade school when he started with Marv Albert. And I was enamored and obsessed with the NBA before the, you know, Twitter, before all this stuff was readily available. My only outlet was watching the, the, the network game per week. And I learned everything from Marv because I wanted to be a play-by-play guy. And then I learned about the game from the czar. And I, I happened to be really, at the time, really good friends with my wife. We are besties, best friends. And we would watch these games together. And I go to work now and I'm like, oh, by the way, just as a heads up for you, I'm, I'm going to go do a game with Mike Fratello. I'm going to be paid to do that game and we're going to have a good time tonight. It, it is never uh, something that is lost on me, but to go around the block, to go next door, how is Mike Fratello? I love him. And I just, I have one of the best jobs in the world working with he and Jim Jackson. Uh, you know, and I, and I got to know Jim Jackson a little bit when he was with the Portland Trailblazers on, on one of his many stops. How's, how's Jim been as, as, as a broadcast partner, what he's brought to the table? Because obviously, you know, Zara's been doing it for so long. And I know Jim did a Big Ten Network and, and some other stuff, but is relatively new to, to our group. Uh, what, 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 what's the best part about working with J.J.? So, uh, again, I was watching college games, watching Jim Jackson. I was a fan, and now here I am 30-plus years later, you know, working with him. He is 
phenomenal at what he does. He and the czar are so good. Jim is awesome because you watched him as a player and I felt from a distance, not knowing anything about him, that he was kind of an elitist. He was had an air about him that he, you know, he, he maybe he felt like he was better than everybody. And I remember the first game that we had done, he kind of made a couple of jokes about all the teams he had played for and how he wasn't very good, which he was, by the way, the guy averaged over 25 points a game, several years And I remember laughing at the joke just to not make it feel awkward. And I texted him after the game. I said, look, you were making some funny jokes about your career. Just know that I I don't think it's funny. I really appreciated your career. And he texts me back. He's like, my my entire career is an open book. We're going to make fun of it. We're going to have a good time. Let's do it. On top of that, he really sees the game at a nice level. Super easy to communicate with. And I just, man, I tell you what, I've just, I I got so lucky with these guys for sure. Yeah, kind of like, uh, kind of like me and Brevin Knight. We make fun of how many teams he's played for through the years, how many uniforms he wore, and uh, and and his career as well. Uh, so here's here's the question: are, are you guys traveling? That that's the most important thing. Will we see you in Memphis on Thursday night? I am so happy, Pete, that I was able to just briefly. I know you you were under duress when we saw you earlier. I will be off of Beale Street. I will be going to Huey's Burgers, and then I will be going to the Kooky Canuck for lunch, which are my favorite stops, some of my favorite stops in the league. And I truly am looking forward to it, man. I, I, I actually, you, you, you know the history there. I love Memphis. I actually love the fans. I loved the team back in the day. I love the team even more now. This is going to be a fun trip. I'm looking forward to it. And it will be a very, very brief trip because you're going to go from Beale Street to Bourbon Street because you've got a back-to-back with New Orleans. So it's a, it's a long trip out. But I think like the rest of us, you are very pleased that we are able to finally uh, get out from our own self-imposed bubbles that we had last year. What it, it, I know Memphis is one of your favorite stops. Huey's is, is my favorite burger place, period, you know, end of story. What are some other places that you're that you're looking forward to seeing after not being able to see them for uh, for a year plus? Well, New York is my favorite. You know, it's it's my favorite by a mile. I love Broadway shows, and so I'm just I you know looking at our schedule. We're lucky we go there two different times, not one time with both games. Uh, I love Denver, Colorado, which is where my wife and I spent many years. C- quite honestly, Pete, like at this point, I'm so happy to be on the road. Like I don't I don't care, and and I think a lot of people don't understand our job. So when we say we're on the road, yeah, we do go to nice restaurants and we get to have fun. But like for me and you, when we say I get to to talk to players it isn't a social flex it isn't for me to take selfies with paul george it's so that you and i can get information to help tell the story of our organizations and i don't have a single player's phone number in my phone it's not like that for me i'm going up to reggie jackson hey you played with this team tell me about it what did you like about this guy and then maybe you get a fun little nugget that no one else gets that's what life on the road is for us i think for you and me for sure yeah I get to go to eat some nice restaurants every once in a while, but I'm such a bore that I eat at (laughs) 630 and I'm in my bedroom by 730 and I don't come back out. I'm such a dud, but that's how it is for me. And and even though, even though that is my schedule, I'm just, I just feel so alive being back out on the road. It's awesome. It's really been great. Yeah. I've been thinking about this. I probably more appreciate, not that I didn't appreciate, the opportunity to do what we do, which is amazing. And there are only 30 jobs like this in the world. But I think I appreciate it just a little bit more than I did before 
because of, of what we had to do last year, sitting in studios and in empty arenas and, and, and things like that. So uh, looking forward to seeing you. I will, I will tell everybody at Huey's and uh, I will tell <laughs> Sean Danko at Kooky Canuck to, uh, to make sure that, uh, that he has a, he has the poutine ready for you when, uh, when you stop by. My favorite joint. All right. Thank you very much, Brian. I do appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to seeing you and the rest of the Clipper folks on Thursday. Good to see you, Pete. So there you have it, the scouting report on the Los Angeles Clippers. And uh, I hope that Brian did indeed get a chance to go to uh, either Kooky Canuck and or and or Huey's. Uh, both very, very good eating spots. Uh, Huey's with multiple locations in Memphis, as, as most of you know. And uh, Kooky Canuck with a, with a couple of locations, uh, both of which uh, both of those restaurants have uh, locations downtown near where uh, Brian and the Clippers will be staying. So uh, hope you had a great time. Uh, not sure if uh, Mike Fratello is going to be on the road trip with them or not. Looking forward to uh, reconnecting with uh, the czar. And um, just looking forward to the Grizzlies. Now, you know, you got yourself right against the Houston Rockets, as it were. Can you maintain that and your competition level goes up a notch or two or three or maybe even four? When you take on the Los Angeles Clippers, who are playing really good basketball right now, Paul George is playing out of his mind. Clippers may or may not have Terrence Mann, who's a young player on the rise for them. Uh, Nick Batum is being uh, bothered by an Achilles. Not sure that he will be available to them. So it's, it's a, it is a shorthanded uh, Clipper team, but they have more than enough firepower. They were able to handle the San Antonio Spurs on Tuesday night. So we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, our thanks to Brian Seaman for being our friend of the program today. Our thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook and the Youth Athletic Foundation for their continued support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Uh, Grizzlies have the Thursday night date with the Clippers. Uh, then they go out on the road. They will travel on Friday, play at Minnesota on Saturday day off Sunday in Salt Lake City, and then a Monday night game against the Utah Jazz. So we will chronicle all that for you with the next episode of Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.